Welcome to the Acosta Institute podcast. I am Dr. Angel Acosta. This is a series of conversations with friends and colleagues from a variety of fields who are in pursuit of healing-centered education. Such a wonderful opportunity to engage Maria Tan in this conversation. Really excited to talk about your work, Maria, especially around thriving and especially your thriving educator model. How are you, you know, how are you these days? I'm really excited to be here and um, doing well, you know, continuously reminding myself that when I slow down, I do better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So taking time, being intentional about just slowing down has been like really, really important for me. Yeah. Yeah. And it brings up for me, you know, asking you about those grounding practices and, you know, it's been quite the experience with the pandemic at this point, you know, knowing that uh, the pandemic, the vaccines have supported a little bit of people's anxieties, but still we're dealing with a pandemic that is uh, moving through the world. I just wanted to ask you like, how have you been able to stay grounded throughout this particular time of, of transition, of plague? You know, in the spirit of slowing down, meditation has been key, really, really key. Spending time with family, cherishing that mm. time, and working on what really inspires me. Um, as you know, I've been mm. doing things in education, in the arts, and coaching, and just like following my creative energies. Well, yeah, and you have quite the story in terms of following your creative energies. You were a teacher. You just transitioned as uh, a teacher. Tell us about that journey. Like you, what happened? You, you made a big move. I think that transition is an incredible example of, of thriving and, and of self-care. Um, tell us a little bit about your experience transitioning out of kind of a school into the work you're doing now. Yeah. Ooh, where do I start? <laughs> so I was teaching in New York City. Um, I was a public school teacher in the Bronx. And I like to tell people that I really started to actually feel like a teacher my last two years because I started to step away yeah. from the hyper focus of focusing on instruction and started to really like get my hands into focusing on student social emotional health social emotional learning, the health of the community, the health the well-being of teachers. So the last 2 years were really me again following that creative energy and me going out there and starting mindfulness initiatives at my school, bringing in restorative justice practices, um leading my school's equity team and as I started to build my leadership in those areas I felt I also felt the constraints of the education system and that although I was doing all of these things that to support my school there were so many like barriers and there were also so many constraints so in the when we went from um in person to online a lot of the projects that I was working on sort of like disappeared in the in the midst of switching to remote learning. And then I saw my schools, I saw my community's well-being and 
just overall health, like seriously decline. Like students were not in communication. Teachers were not in communication at some points. Teachers were really struggling with um, the overwhelm. I had one colleague who had a panic attack during a Zoom meeting because of the sheer overwhelm of what was happening. Um, And another colleague have sort of like a mental breakdown. And I realized that all of these uh, supports that I had built at my school, I wasn't doing them anymore because we just didn't know how to pivot from doing them in person to doing them online. So when I um, realized that, I brought back the mindfulness initiative and I started doing, um, I went on my school's Instagram page and did Instagram lives and did mindful minutes every single day for like three months. And kids would be in the chat like, oh, I'm so excited for today's mindful minute. Um, And then I would bring on student guests. So we would both go live together and we would do like a mindfulness practice. And then I'd sort of interview them like you're interviewing me now. Um, And I'd bring teachers on and it, it was, you know, and then I started doing that with staff as well. So I started to feel that like momentum of, okay, there's something more for me here in education. Mm-hmm. So I spoke with my administration and I brought this to their attention and, you know, brought to the attention that we need some sort of coordinator for all of these initiatives. Mm-hmm. And we really need to focus on the social emotional health of our community for the next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that wasn't exist wasn't in existence before. So I advocated basically to create a new role for me at my school. And mm-hmm. I had laid out a program design um, and I had the support of my administration. They were really excited about it. They you know, told me, you're the best person to do this. We really need this. We need your help. And then I uh, started working over the summer on how to integrate like our guidance counselors more into the community to support both teachers and students. And then at the end of the summer, when the school, when my school got the budget and there, we had realized there were so many budget cuts from COVID, there was just no way to support my role. And I tried getting really creative. I was like, <laughs> put me on per diem, part time, per session, hire me F status. I tried everything. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, there was another, there was another no. So for me, it was pretty clear that um, I wasn't just going to go back to normal because things were not normal. So that's when I chose to resign from my position and just take all of these efforts and, and let them grow into the Thriving Teacher Project. Yeah, Marie, I think your example is a really powerful one. Um, I'd love to kind of dive in a little bit into, one, you, you, you transition out of teaching at a, and working at a public school in light of your vision, um, and you create the Thriving Teacher Project. Could you tell us a little bit about the elements of the Thriving Teacher Project in terms of the philosophical foundations of it? I know you draw from social-emotional learning, restorative justice, mindfulness. Could you, just, could you tell us a little bit about the logic uh, around that? And then also tell us a little bit about what you did across those master classes and what, how, what, what transpired? So the work that I do is rooted in my belief that everyone deserves a right to restoration and returning to the self. The first model of the Thriving Teacher Project was really inspired by you. 
And it was inspired by the way you held space in 2020 with your community groundings. Um, And being in that experience actually for myself, like being able to be in that space where I could commune with other people, talk about trauma, talk about healing was like a huge, a huge pathway to my healing. So when I saw you were doing that, I saw that this is something that's missing for teachers and for supporting our educators. So the the first series of the Thriving Teacher Project included eight masterclass presenters, and each of these people were um, these people were or these people are in the field of education, and I see them really as leaders in mindfulness and education, in trauma-responsive education, in bringing equity to the classroom. Um, so following each of the master classes, I held community support groups for teachers to, one, unpack what they learned in terms of the master class, and two, just be in community with each other and to be able to really bear witness to each other, to share their experiences, to integrate their experiences, to share their emotions. Um, And yeah, really just giving teachers that supportive space um, to lend to their healing journey. Yeah. And you had wonderful colleagues, Dr. Steven Shigematsu, Dr. Michelle Chadman, Coghill, uh, Toby Hussein. You had so many um, people in the field. So just that, that, that arc of those master classes it's really powerful i think innovation in the field and i think from speaking you through speaking to you throughout the year i noticed uh that you ended up developing an actual framework uh, a theoretical framework that you uh, uh i think uh, titled the uh, thriving educator model could you tell us a little bit about the thriving educator model Yeah. So the Thriving Educator model has three pillars that infuse the work that I do with educators and beyond. And those three pillars are uh, contemplative-based inquiry and resilience and social-emotional learning and collective healing. That framework came to light when I really looked at my life, my journey as an educator, my journey as an educator experiencing burnout and then healing through burnout and looking at what were the areas in my life that, what were the different areas in my life where I was thriving and what were the conditions that were enabling me to thrive? So recognizing my mindfulness practice as something that was enabling me to thrive, recognizing my own healing journey, coming to terms with that, what that meant for me, Um, healing in and from relationships and through relationships. So yeah, basically recognizing what was working in my life and how can I share this with other educators. So really first grounding, the model is grounded in a contemplative-based resilience and inquiry. And simply put, that's mindfulness. So using that to really cultivate self-awareness to be able to be in the face of challenges, whether in the classroom or outside of the classroom, and also being able to extend that awareness to others in our relationships. So it's also grounded in social emotional learning. So bringing that awareness to others and actually being able to cultivate the necessary skills to have healthy relationships. So building teamwork, collaboration, 
understanding multiple viewpoints and cultivating forgiveness and compassion and empathy, and then working on more complicated things like conflict resolution. And I really saw that, like, I really saw that as teachers, we're asked to do this with students, and teachers are not taught how to do that experientially. So really giving the space and the tools for teachers to experience what really is social-emotional learning and how is it relevant to my life and my life experiences. So like having that cultural groundedness to it. And then having robust social-emotional learning landscape can actually help us tap into collective healing. Being able to um, recognize that every individual has a healing journey and there's nothing wrong or bad about that. Everyone has trauma. There's nothing wrong or bad or bad about that. Um, and you know, when we heal from that, everyone that experiences us also gets to heal. So our individual mm-hmm. healing lends to collective healing and collective liberation. And then when we can be in that place together, when mm-hmm. we're all moving towards that, we're working towards that, we can actually cause each other. And what I mean by cause each other is to spark each other's empowerment, to spark each other's innovation, mm-hmm. and to spark discovery, honestly, too. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you for that. And just kind of to lift the model again, contemplative-based resilience, you know, a really powerful approach, thinking about the deployment and the use of, of mindfulness and other contemplative practices, practices like particular forms of yoga, particular forms of walking meditation, particular forms of just art and engaging in slowing down and pacing oneself in the term in, in the process of learning. So contemplative-based resilience as a process for building our capacity to hold more and more, even if that more and more is actual suffering or actual a change. And then collective healing, you know, I just want to acknowledge the relationship to collective healing and what you just said around um, when when we actually begin to engage in our own healing journeys as educators, even if we don't directly communicate it with our students or the people that we're working with, it has a qualitative effect on the field, on the spaces that you're facilitating. And it, and it actually opens others up and it creates a different kind of moment uh, for the people that you're working with. And the piece you said around social emotional learning is so powerful because, you know, for people... Um, listening to this could really sit with is that social emotional learning has been a popular pedagogical approach over the last 10, 20 years. And a lot of it has been focused on teaching kids how to self-regulate their emotions, teaching kids how to process their emotions. And so much of that has been absent of supporting teachers with processing their emotions, supporting teachers with their social emotional learning. So it's just a major, I wanted to highlight the major work that you're doing of supporting teachers with developing their own social emotional learning uh, skills as it relates to their own healing, as it relates to their own sense of resilience, as it relates to the larger the larger goal, which I think is collective healing. And so much of that is is connected to, uh, you know, thinking about this next this next moment we're in as the pandemic moves through, as the fall in this twenty twenty one comes in, and we pivot towards the collective experience of what what is life after. The pandemic. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about how has your work evolved in light of all of that, the transitioning out of public school and developing your own thriving educator model. 
But what's your next move? I, I, I know that there is something big coming in terms of the the house that the, that the, what houses your work. Any 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 updates there? Yeah. So as I've been working in different spaces, you know, outside of education, I'm really realizing that my skill set and also the framework can be applied pretty much anywhere and that anyone can benefit from social emotional learning. It's not a term that's just exclusive to schools and to education. And we know mindfulness is popular pretty much everywhere now. (laughs) But yeah, so realizing that these skills can be transferred to other areas. And this is where my interests also bridge. My interests and my practices bridge with my professional path. So really also leaning on my involvement in the arts and also really leaning on my um, my Buddhist practice. So having all those things come together, I realized that there is a bigger umbrella that can house all of this work and that can benefit more people. So that house is officially called the House of Thriving, which Thriving Teacher Project is one branch, and then there's going to be several other branches to be announced in the coming months and year. So stay tuned. Um, But yeah, I really just hope to bring this work to more people and to really, yeah, just expand the impact. Yeah, yeah, I want to take this moment to acknowledge the the House of Thriving uh, and affirm it as as a byproduct of the pandemic and a byproduct of uh, one human being, you, trying to make sense of an incredible moment of turmoil. So may the house of thriving thrive in its true form and potential. Also suggest that the house of thriving and the work that you've been doing is connected to collective recovery. This idea that the 21st century is the century of recovery. You know, a lot of people are saying that this decade is a decade of transformation. Uh, with all the different challenges that are coming before us in terms of climate change, political polarization, racial lies, violence, there's so much that we need to contend with. And part of what the fall will involve will be exploring, uh, especially through our, our summit, the uh, Healing Central Education Summit, uh, is, is thinking about pedagogies for collective recovery. So my, my, my question for you is, is really thinking about how do you feel like the, the House of Thriving will, will support with creating conditions for collective recovery? creating conditions for the restoration, as you articulated earlier, is a, it, that is a right for every human being? Mm. Juicy question. So I think what's unique about House of Thriving is it's not so much like what exactly am I doing? What to do, how to do, what's next? A lot of those questions, I spent a lot of time asking myself and realizing that that's not the right question to ask. And the right question to ask is, who am I being or how am I being? So supporting people within this paradigm and within this shift of shifting their thinking and actually unlearning a lot of belief systems that are not moving us forward. And I believe that returning to, I had said earlier, it's a right to return to the self. 
I can also translate that as a, a right to return to beingness mm. and to actually move away from doingness. Mm. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like yet, <laughs> but that's what House of Thriving will be bringing to the table. Yeah. And, and not knowing exactly what it looked like yet is such a, a theme that invites us to think about the future. Uh, and in the future, um, being kind of uh, uncertain. Thinking about the house of thriving, thinking about your thriving educator model and, and this journey that you're on, uh, what's, what's a future worth living into? I think that your, the house that you're building is, is one. Could you share more about what's the future that you're trying to live into? Yeah. So I imagine a future where people are innovating. And not just in a way of creating new products and new technologies. So I invite you to think outside of the box when I say innovate. But when people are innovating from a place of wholeness and healing, rather than from a place of fixing and changing, and rather from that place of deficit. So like by doing that, actually coming from a place of possibility, when we create and when we innovate, instead of coming from that place of something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's powerful. And thinking about that future, and thinking about the work that you've been able to curate thus far with the House of Thriving and the Thriving Educator Model and the Thriving Teacher Project, for those educators out there, those, those who are in school, those who are consultants, those who are in community-based organizations, those who might not even see themselves as educators, but are in are are in capacities where they're teaching. What what tips would you give them? Uh, what practice would you invite them to engage in, so that they too could be on a journey of living into that future you just articulated? Yeah, um, so funny that you're asking me this question. I had two teachers reach out to me this week who are in a similar place of transition thinking, I want to leave the classroom, I want to do something else. Um, and they asked me, you know, how did you do it? What were some of your practices? What was, what was your process like? And I find the most helpful piece that I can share is to take time to actually look at your belief systems and to see what's there and what would support you to unlearn. So again, coming from that place of wholeness, coming from that place of healing, stepping away from that place of deficit and that there's something wrong here. And a lot of that lives within our belief systems. So for example, um, when I was debating on whether I should resign or if I should stay um, within education, I had to really reckon with what was my belief about work and my belief about money. And I saw that my belief systems about work held the view that work has to be difficult. It needs to involve suffering. uh, It needs to have a lot of sacrifice. And I can also connect that and see, connect that to my parents and see how they, their relationship to work was. They immigrated from the Philippines and that was when they came here, work was a mode of survival. So when I looked at my belief system about that and saw that I believed work had to be hard and had I had to suffer, you know, making the choice to actually rewrite that and to change that and to tell 
myself that work can be what I create it to be. Work can be enjoyable. Work can be fulfilling. Work can be healing. So to anyone out there, yeah, I would just offer taking a look at your belief systems and perhaps Mm -hmm. decolonizing some of your beliefs. Yeah, yeah. I just want to thank you so much for engaging in this conversation and thinking about that last thread you uh, mentioned in terms of decolonizing uh, one's form of uh, one's belief system, decolonizing education. You know, collective recovery as a framework and the Healing Center Education Summit that we are uh, leading up to is really an attempt to decolonize education in general, but also create the container for us to build community. So I'm just excited to and, and, and honored that you can be part of this community. And again, may, may the house of thriving thrive in its fullest potential. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was such an honor. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this work is nourishing and supportive. I encourage you to follow the Acosta Institute on uh, multiple social media platforms where you can learn more about our courses and other offerings. May this work and all of us continue to thrive.